Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for ASHP's Practice Journeys podcast. This podcast invites members to share their stories about their professional path, lessons learned, and how their experience had shaped who and where they are today. My name is Eric Morayka, Senior Director, Center on Pharmacy Practice Advancement here at ASHP, and I'll be your host today. Veterans Day is a U.S. federal holiday observed annually on November 11th for honoring veterans from the six branches of the military. We would like to take a moment to say thank you and honor America's veterans for their patriotism, love of country, and willingness to serve and sacrifice for the common good. Today, we'll be chatting with Carol Labadee, Medication Safety Officer, Vident Medical Center, Greenville, North Carolina, Tim McCullough, Chief Pharmacy Services, VA Ann Arbor Healthcare System, at the Lieutenant Colonel Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Kelly Lunsford, Lead Pharmacist, Clinical Services, Pediatrics, University of Virginia Children's Hospital, Director, PGY2 Pediatric Pharmacy Residency Program, and Clinical Assistant Professor at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Pharmacy. And this is all at University of Virginia Health System in Charlottesville, Virginia. So we'll talk about today, specifically the Veterans Day tribute stories of service to country and the profession and their remarkable journeys to become a pharmacist that all began with their decision to enter the military. So I wanna take a moment to thank you all for your military service and for taking the time today to join us. So we'll start with a few questions here that I'll go in a different sequence each time. But uh, we'll start with uh, Carol. You know, the first question is, tell me a little bit about yourself and your current position. Well, thank you, Eric, for the opportunity to participate. Thank you for your service also. I am currently the medication safety officer at Biden Medical Center in Greenville, North Carolina. My road to this position, I went to pharmacy school at the University of North Carolina graduated in 1981 and worked retail for five years before I went into the Army. Had a 27-year career where I can say I did things as a pharmacist I never would have had the opportunity to experience had I not been in the service. And I thought that was just something that was phenomenal to be able to, to do that. My current position has, with most positions, morphed over the years that I've been doing this, where only I'm not only doing medication safety activities, I am the supervisor for our pharmacy technicians who do medication histories for our patients getting admitted to the hospital at Vitek Medical Center. We also have a virtual program where we have a group of centralized technicians who take care of the patients in our hospitals in, within our system, which is Eastern North Carolina. So they sit in an office and they actually virtually talk with the patients in the emergency departments and the other hospitals and get the medication histories for them. Joint Commission Medication Ma Management Chapter Champion, and I mentor and supervise our PGY1 pharmacy residents, and we have students from both UNC School of Pharmacy and 
Campbell School of Pharmacy that we mentor and uh, we work with them. And so that's kind of, in a nutshell, what I'm doing at the moment. Well, you continue to trailblaze even after the Army. So I, I applaud your efforts. Tim, how about yourself? Yeah, no, thanks, Derek. And I, it's, a, it's such a pleasure to be here and share the diet dais with uh, with all these uh, wonderful folks that have, have served in the military. So I, I actually served for about 24 years in both the Navy and Navy Reserve. I, I began my career as a hospital corpsman in 1984 and then was selected to go on to advanced school for pharmacy technician, where I worked at the Naval Hospital San Diego for three years. And then further went on as a corpsman to Field Marine Forces School, where I, I was then stationed at Camp Pendleton for another two years, working with the Marines as a corpsman there. It was during that six-year period that I decided that I could do what those pharmacists do. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to finish my six years of active duty, go into the reserves, take that money that I put aside uh, through the military, and, and get my pharmacy degree. So that's just what I did. I spent the next uh, three or four years uh, finishing my pharmacy degree, applying for a commission in the Navy Reserves as a pharmacist. My civilian career mirrored, mirrored my military career. So I was a clinical pharmacist at a hospital in Kalamazoo, Borges Hospital. Went on to work at drug information at, at Upjohn, which then became Pfizer in Kalamazoo, which you know today is in the news a lot with the, with the COVID vaccine and their production there. Uh, as I as I went up in in, in career steps in, in my civilian career, I did a similar uh, process in the Navy, uh, taking positions as administration officer, training officer, XO, and then eventually officer in charge. And then I did have the opportunity to get a director of pharmacy position in the health system in Kalamazoo. Did that, and about that time, I was sent to Lonstool Regional Medical Center as part of a Navy deployment to the Army Hospital, where I met some of our, our speakers today, other speakers today. Spent a year there as a, a pharmacist supporting that mission, came back to the States and spent some time as a medication safety officer, then actually back at Lonstool as a civilian. And then after my tour as a civilian there, came back and worked as a director of pharmacy in Lansing, Michigan. And then two years ago, just over two years ago, had the honor of being coming back to the military community and uh, serving as a chief of pharmacy services here at the VA Ann Arbor. That's great, Tim. So I had a, a pleasure of working with Kelly uh, in Heidelberg, Germany. And let's hear your story. Yes, thank you, Eric. It's, a, it's an honor to, to be here. So I actually joined the military in 2005. I initially enlisted in the Army as a then 91 Quebec, uh, now 68 Quebec pharmacy specialist. Uh, right after undergrad, I knew I wanted to be a pharmacist, but at the time I was just wasn't ready to do more schooling and I needed some experience. It was really hard to get a job as a technician. I am originally from Roxborough, North Carolina. I was living in Chapel Hill at the time and the area is just saturated with people wanting to work in pharmacy. So it was difficult thing for me to do at the time to try to find a job locally. And I was like, well, like looking long-term and actually research things for a long time before I joined the military to see which branch I would uh, join. I thought about the Navy, but then at the time they made females cut their hair and I didn't want to do that, which is kind of ironic because my hair is short now, but people change. So I, the, really the big thing is I couldn't select the job I wanted. So I joined the army, uh, spent five years on active duty, started out at Fort Polk, Louisiana. But then uh, as Eric mentioned, I, uh, uh, found my way to Heidelberg and spent three years, uh, the last three years of my active duty in Heidelberg, Germany, 
where I did briefly meet the other speakers. Uh, they remember me from a different name. I actually worked extensively with Eric, but uh, remember meeting uh, Tim and Carol at times in passing while I was there. So uh, I spent... Uh, three years there in Heidelberg. And then from there, I applied to pharmacy school and ended up back in Chapel Hill at UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy, where I got my PharmD. Then uh, from there, I uh, matched for residency at the University of Virginia, where I did my PGY-1. And I had thought I was going to be an adult critical care pharmacist, but at some point I decided I wasn't sure I really liked the adult side of things. And I did my research project in PEDS. And so by process of elimination, I was like, well, maybe I'll like PEDS better, I hope. And so I ended up doing, it was actually the very first pediatric pharmacy resident at UVA. And so come full circle. So after I graduated residency, I stayed on as a clinical pharmacist in pediatrics at UVA. And then in 2019, I became the lead pharmacist and program director for the pediatric pharmacy residency program. Actually, also in 2019, I rejoined the military. Uh, I'm uh, currently serving as a pharmacy officer in the Army Reserve. Excellent. I didn't know that. So let's start the the next question with uh, Tim. And it's what, with your current job, what would you say is the most rewarding part of it? Well, that, that's a, a great question, and I, I'm glad to answer it. So I've worked as a, a director of pharmacy in both the civilian sector as well as military, DOD, and now with the Veterans Administration. And really what attracted me to this position and what I really like uh, about being here is really rewarding is what we have been able to do through the military, DOD, and VA with our pharmacists. We really embed ourselves with the provider, with the patient, slash veteran and provide you know the world-class care to these individuals. We have a robust staff. I have pharmacists on the floor decentralized or uh, rotating with, with the physicians, which is not unique, right, to the, the, the VA nor the, the DOD medicine. But I think uh, what really attracted me is the fact that we embed pharmacists in ambulatory care. We embrace pain management. We embrace antimicrobial stewardship. And I have over 70 clinical pharmacists in the VA Anna Arbor that are doing exactly that, ambulatory care and focused uh, working with nurses, providers slash physicians, and having head-to-head direct conversations with the veterans. Even in our outpatient pharmacy, before the veteran comes to pick up the medication, they sit at a counseling booth with the pharmacist, go over the medication, ask any questions before they even receive those medications, and then they pick them up. It's just such a dynamic uh, process. I'm proud to work with those professionals, many of who are also veterans, and then get to come back and serve those that have served for so long. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing folks from Korea War, Vietnam War, a few from World War II, and certainly a, a new, I hate to say crop, but a new crop of veterans that have gone through what many of us sitting in this on this uh, panel today have, have been through for the last 20 years. And um, I'm glad that we are still here to serve them. Thanks, Tim. Kelly, how about you? What would you say your most rewarding part of your current position is? So I ended up uh, as a pediatric clinical pharmacist. Part of the reason is is because kids are so resilient. Like it is amazing to see them like on the brink of death, bounce back and walk out of the hospital. Like that is just amazing to me. And, you know, part of me wishes like, I love, I really do love the idea of being able to work with the veteran population. And I try to do so in other capacities, but like, I just, 
something drew me to peds. And so like, this is where I stay. And it's part of the reason why I rejoined the military. Cause I really enjoy that culture so much. I was like, I need to, I need some of that in my life. So do that part-time, but then full-time um, I am a clinical pharmacist in the pediatric ICU at UVA. And we see some of the sickest patients in central Virginia. We are a, uh, the referral center for congenital complex congenital heart disease. And so the, these sickest patients in the state and surrounding areas for those patients that don't go either north to DC Children's or down south to North Carolina, or they, either UNC or Duke, come to us. So that is really rewarding. And the the people that I work with at UVA are also amazing. The relationship that the pharmacy department has with like our physician colleagues, our advanced uh, practice practitioners, so our nurse practitioners, physician assistants, those people that are on the units, like our the amount that we've been ingrained in, in as part of the team on those units is just really amazing. And that's been uh, very rewarding. And also uh, I do a lot of teaching uh, in uh, my roles as residency program director. And also I work pretty closely with the VCU School of Pharmacy. I take many students on rotation with me throughout throughout the year. I have a student with me now. Uh, and then next block, I'll have a resident and a student. So the layered learning model in full effect, which can be challenging at times. You know, it's a lot of work to have learners, but it's also one of the most rewarding parts of my job currently. And you're helping build the bench. So thanks. And Carol, how about yourself? So first, let me say I envy Tim and Kelly the opportunity to interact with our veterans and our active duty. My job, since I'm not directly in patient care, I don't get to see patients interact with them. And that was something I really enjoyed being in the military was was having my, my veterans and my active duty that were my patients. It's a difficult question to say what is the most rewarding thing about my job because I really like all of the aspects of what we do. I think, though, that I like the fact that I've been able to see since I've been at Bident a change in our safety culture. And we, I think that we feel more comfortable now reporting events. There's not the defensive posture when someone asks a question about uh, something that's happened. And I can see that with our increase in medication events that are getting reported. And people say, oh my gosh, that must be really bad because you're getting the events reported. But what we're trying very hard to do is get our team to start letting us know when they're finding near misses and they're finding unsafe acts so that we can start trending those and we can make it safer for our patients. And so while we have actually had a goal the past two or three years of increasing our near miss and our unsafe acts as part of our pharmacy objectives, and we report those every month at our staff meeting um, where we are with our goal and if we're meeting our goal. And then what I'm doing at the end of the year as we meet the goal is I increase it for the next year. And I can say, and we've done that for about four years now, that each year we have surpassed our goal. So we are seeing an increase in the near misses and unsafe acts getting um, reported, which I think is helping us make a lot of changes to make it better. And it also lets our team know that we're listening to what they're saying and that we are actually trying to work and improve things. And, and I think that's helped. So I really do like that because um, I feel that across the board, we're better. So next question will be your motivation to join the military. And Kelly, let's uh, start with you on this one. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. So honestly, 21-year-old Kelly, when she joined the Army on active duty, was 
most concerned with how she was going to pay for pharmacy school, to be completely honest. <laughs> so I joined active duty literally right out of undergrad. Man, I enlisted as a specialist since I had a bachelor's degree and everyone was like, well, well, why didn't you commission? I'm like, look, guys, I have a five-year plan and my at five years, I'm going to pharmacy school. And everyone's like, okay, you'll probably serve 20 years on active duty. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> five years and I'm done. So joined active duty. And at the time I bought into the Montgomery GI bill, which amazingly and thankfully turned, I mean, the reason why and the name behind it, definitely tragic, but the post 9-11 GI bill, uh, the money it provided was amazing. And so when, but when I joined active duty, I had no idea that it actually was going to fall in love with military culture and everyone's like, it gets you, it gets you. And, you know, it's a part of you that'll never be the same. And that is absolutely and completely true, which is part of the reason why I ended up joining the reserves. What some eight years later, after I got out, I served five years on active duty. And then it's been about a year and a half in the reserves. Uh, so my active duty time, as I mentioned before, was at Fort Polk and then Heidelberg. I was really sad to leave Germany. I did not want to go, but I knew it was all for the best. Like my contingency plan, if I didn't get into pharmacy school was I was going <laughs> to extend my contract and try to stay in Germany, but I got in. So, oh, well, <laughs> I guess it was all for the best, but I spent some time uh, in the reserves at Fort Bragg. So that was kind of, uh, it was really difficult to balance being in school and being in the reserve. So a lot of people do it. And a lot of my soldiers in my current reserve unit do it. And I don't know how they do it. So it was almost always drill weekend fell on the weekend before a big exam. So <laughs> that was always really challenging, but yeah. So, uh, it's just an honor to serve and I, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. So I really like fell in love with it once I, once I, um, got into it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good answer. Carol, how about yourself? I know I've heard this story a couple of times, but no one else has that's going to be listening to this. <laughs> so, so yes, Eric, you're right. It's actually a unique story. And it is one that one of my bosses just absolutely loved and would tell it to multiple people. So I was already a pharmacist. I work in retail, like I said before, and my husband was in school and ROTC. And we were trying to figure out what I was going to do while he was doing his army career, not knowing at that time that you could work as a civilian in a military hospital. My thought was, I'm going to have to go find a job. First of all, I'm going to have to go reciprocate my license everywhere he would go, find a job, start at the bottom every time he moved. And those were cause for angst many nights when I'm trying to, to think about this. And so he came home from school one day and he says, you know, you can join the army too. And I'm going, oh yeah, right. I'm going to be a private and you're going to be an officer. I don't think that's going to work. No, no, no. You've got a professional degree. You can get a direct commission. You can come in and be an officer. So he got the paperwork for me and helped me fill it out and submitted. We submitted the application for joint domicile. And, and we were able to, I got accepted and we went in and our first assignment was at Fort Lewis, Washington. So I was at Madigan for my assignment. As it turned out, he did his four years, decided the military was not for him. Now, in understanding, he had prior enlisted experience. So he knew what the military was like, but decided that, no, it wasn't for him. And so he got out. And I was having a really good time liking what I was doing. So I kind of stayed in. And next thing we know, 
27 years later, I'm retired, but he's followed me all over the world during that time frame. So it's really, it's a funny story, but it's, it's a great one. Tim, how about you? Yeah, so uh, interesting. So after high school, I actually had a, a scholarship, not a full ride, but a scholarship uh, to Western Michigan University and uh, thought I wanted to be an aircraft engineer. I was going to build planes that, you know, flew all over the world. And so I spent my first year doing engineering type things. And um, after that first year, decided that probably wasn't a good fit for me. And my, my GPA also reflected that. So I thought, you know what, before I spend my own money now, because the scholarship was gone, I need to figure out what I want to do. And so my dad had been in the Navy for 21 years. Um, so I grew up in a Navy family. I was born in the Navy, if you will, and thought, well, let me check out at the military. My dad retired as a, as a chief, chief in the Navy. And so I went to the recruiters and I, I talked to the Air Force. I talked to the Army. I talked to the Navy. Did not talk to the Marine Corps, which interestingly enough is where I wound up my last two years of active duty as a corpsman. But as I matched up the, the various ratings or jobs I could get or in the army called MOS. There was electrician, there was nuclear subs, there was hospital corpsman. I said, hey, tell me more about this hospital corpsman. So it's like an EMT paramedic nurse. I was actually a Boy Scout, an Eagle Scout. And I thought back to my experience with the Scouts and really enjoyed first aid mirror badge, emergency preparedness, all that stuff that had to do with first aid meets. And I thought, well, let me let me hear more about that. They said, well, you know, if you stay in for six years, we'll give you uh, an advanced school beyond core school. I said, well, sounds like a good deal. And so I signed up as it would have it. Uh, as I mentioned before, I went through core school boot camp core school in, in Great Lakes, Illinois. They flew me out to San Diego, whereas while I was landing, the plane was landing over the Coronado Bay. I saw all these big gray ships in the bay. And I thought, oh my God, I'm really in the Navy now. What the heck happened? And so I had the, uh, I worked as a pharmacy technician there, was mentored by many great uh, folks and finished my six years. But that's really what kind of motivated me to join the military was to kind of find a, a career. And as I stated in my opening remarks that I saw what the pharmacist did and I thought, you know what, this this really resonates with me. This is something I can do. It's all great. I love hearing everyone's story. And, you know, as far as the military experience, and Carol, this will be for you to kick off, but how does it affect your life today? So I'll say that the military experience, I think, still drives my work ethic. I was used to working long hours and making sure things were done. And sometimes you feel like you're the one that's, you're the only one that can do it. So you do it. You also learn how to delegate, which is one of the things that if you did not, you would, you would probably sink on doing that. And so I still use some of those. I still work long hours to get my work done. I'm learning that people can help me and ask them to do that, which is something that was a little difficult to do at times in the military. It makes me appreciate the friends that I have because you, one nice thing about the military is making friends and making them all over the world. But then again, you don't get to see them as frequently as you would like to because they're all over the world. Luckily, in this day and age, we do have electronic social media and things like that, where we can keep track a whole lot easier. The traveling that you got to do in the military, I love. I was, it was just phenomenal. 
I liked the moving every three or four years. And I can say when I took this position, and I've been in this position eight years now, at the three-year mark, it was like, okay, got to go. <laughs> what else is out there, you know? And it's like, oh, no, wait a minute. I don't have to go. <laughs> I guess I can stay. So, but it was like that time was coming. And so you start getting a little antsy when you're, when you're working like that. So I kind of laughed once I realized, oh, no, I don't have to do that. Um, I did learn that I do like some structure in my work life and I probably in my home life also, but I did like that structure of having ways to do things and things like that. Tim, what, how about how's your experience affect your life today? Oh, well, so, you know, again, as I mentioned before, having been brought up in a military lifestyle, even before I joined at the age of 19 or 20, I think what I learned in the military that affects me today is, is what the military provided provides us is a sense of camaraderie and, and community family, as, as Carol kind of alluded to. Wherever you are, you you become a family. And many times we're stationed far from home, whether it's overseas or even across the United States. And you get to celebrate with your with your shipmates the community of what's happening, whether it's successes, you you pull holidays together, uh, somebody has a baby and everybody's part of that experience. And so that to me has really translated throughout my life that when I am put into new areas and much like Carol every three years, because that's how I grew up every three years, three to four years, dad moved. So I moved. And then, then lo and behold, I joined the military. Um, I do get that itch too, every three to five years for a move. But when I do change jobs or, or move to new communities, I find it a lot easier to connect with people because that's, that's it's just the lifestyle we live. You have to, you are in an environment in the military where you have folks from all different walks of life. Even go go back to OCS or boot camp. But we all came together through boot boot camp and made that, but it continued on through our military career. And I and I still use those skills today. I think I don't realize they're there, but uh, my my children will say, how can you just meet somebody for the first time and you get in this conversation, you continue to talk to them like they've known you and you've known them forever. And I I think I have to kind of attribute that back to uh, my military background. Hey, Kelly, how about you? I think I'll also echo some of the things that Carol and Tim said. It's definitely, I've been in Charlottesville for seven years and it's weird that I haven't moved or done anything. I've changed positions I guess technically if you go from resident to clinical pharmacist to lead pharmacist, I've changed position three times. So I guess I've also like moved four different times within Charlottesville. So maybe that's how I cope with that. I don't know. <laughs> I just bought a house. So hopefully this is the last move I make for a while. So that in addition to, I think definitely one of the things that I got from the military that uh, influences my life currently is the whole team sport mentality is definitely ingrained in me, which I think is huge considering um, all the challenging challenges that everyone in healthcare, I believe is facing right now with uh, staffing shortages, just high acuity patients. And it's just really like everyone having to come together and having that mentality of, you know, for the greater good is really something that got ingrained to me when I was, in the service. That's one of the things. And also, I also find myself very easily able to just start up a conversation with someone I just met. And it seems like we've known each other for a long time, which is funny for me because I am a huge introvert. I think I'm one of those extroverted, I'm extroverted during the day, but then like nights, evenings and weekends, like I'm introvert mode. But during the day, it's like, 
I'm just able to pick up a conversation with someone I just met. And it's like, we've known each other forever, uh, which I think is a good thing for me to have because I'm always meeting new people. And especially as we get new employees, other the PICU team gets new team members, there's a lot of nursing turnover. So uh, I'm always meeting new people. So I guess it's a good trait to have. So Tim, tell me a funny story you experienced that could only happen in the military. Yeah, no, that, that's, I had to think about this. There, there are a few. One of the unique opportunities as a pharmacist in the military is we don't do what our counterparts do um, that graduated with us and work in retail or a hospital. We, we lead things. And so I had the opportunity in 2005 to actually be the executive officer, the XO of a mission to Gabon, Africa, where we took actually Cameroon and Gabon. I just happened to go to uh, Gabon with the group, but I was the EXO. I was not there as the pharmacist. We took 150 to each country of medical professionals and security team. We took pharmacists, nurses, physicians, optometrists, you, you name it. And the funny part, as we arrived into Gabon and to Libreville, early the, the advanced group met with the ambassador. And so we had a little a meeting at his compound, which was very nice. And it got to me wearing the dress whites, you know, looks like Top Gun kind of stuff. But that was the beginning. So then the rest of the main body gets there. We go out and we provide medical care to, to eight different villages throughout Gabon. Very rewarding experience. And then the ambassador, as we wrap it up, wants to thank the entire contingent. So we're invited back to the ambassador's compound for a wrap up. And there's piano playing, there's there's drinks being poured, there's stories and laughter going on. At some point, the ambassador says, another gin and tonic, Tim? Well, why, ambassador? Sure, I think I'll take another one. And, and that's kind of how I wrapped up that month in Gabon in Africa. And then I'll skip forward a couple of days later as we, we wind down, we're sending things. I fly from Gabon to Morocco to Paris to D.C. back to Kalamazoo, Michigan, land in Kalamazoo, Michigan. There's only two taxis that service the, that airport and one just pulled out after, you know, 36 hours of, of traveling, 30 days doing what I was doing. And my luggage came off and the second taxi pulls up and I'm like, yay, I, I get to go home and I'm exhausted. The taxi driver comes out and says, dude, I'm on my break. You have to wait 15 minutes. So here I am, this guy who three days ago, the ambassador of Gabon is offering me gin and tonics. Now a taxi driver won't give me a drive home, ride home. Not only that, when I get home, the family's gone on vacation because they get to do that. I have to take out the trash. There's dogs, stuff to pick up in the yard. So it, it's that dichotomy that uh, maybe only the military can offer you that you get out and you do very exciting things, but at the end of the day, you still have to come home and take out the trash. Good one. Kelly, how about the funny, funny stories? I struggle to find a very specific moment that I could discuss <laughs> for this podcast, but I guess I'll say, so it's actually relatively recently. So one of the last like field training exercises I went on, it's actually my first field training exercise as a pharmacist in a field hospital for McCoy, Wisconsin, CSTX, constructing our field hospital. So we got everything up and then we got the pharmacy ISO up. We're trying to arrange it how we want. And then my lead technician who has been in the army for a very long time, we'll just say that. He, he was like, hey, ma'am, got this box of stuff. It was passed down to you from the previous OIC, think you should take a look. We should probably use it, put some stuff around on the pharmacy. I'm like, okay, sorry, I got it. Let me, let me look at it. And I open it up 
and it is a box full of flamingo lace paraphernalia. Like flamingos everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? And so there's a sign that says pharmacy has two flamingos on it. It's a string of flamingo lights and like two blow up flamingos. <laughs> like, so this is the legacy that the previous OIC left me? <laughs> like, what is this? And so I was like, fine, okay, whatever. I was like, we're gonna have some fun. And I was like, we're all out in the field. We're sweating, we're hot, we're tired. I was like, we might as well laugh at this. So, so then I put the pharmacy sign. So in the field hospital, we're right across from the ICU. So we're in an ISO. And then, so I put, put the pharmacy sign in the little vestibule up uh, leading into the ISO that's a pharmacy. So it's clearly marked as a pharmacy. So people know. Uh, and then we strung the, the lights on right uh, a little ways behind that. So you could see them. So people don't come to the pharmacy to get the meds. People come to the pharmacy to take selfies with the flamingos. Like, hey, guys, we're here to also provide a service. I just want to remind you. And they're like, no, no. So when we're, well, so when like higher command comes to to have a look and see what's going on, uh, actually, one of the command sergeant majors uh, signed one of the flamingos. Was like, I'm going to take a selfie with this. This is going to be my Facebook profile picture. I'm like, okay, sergeant major got it. You know, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> and so that kind of. I was like, well, I guess this is this is what's passed on to me. So now I have to select a different mascot for next or whenever we go back or whatever the next field training exercise is. I guess it was good. It provided some some humor for um, for everyone around there. And Carol, how about yourself? I have one that I, I think is funny. And I would say that you definitely have to be a military person to understand. Although, as I was thinking about it, people who have to evacuate due to hurricanes or whatever, probably could relate to what I'm going to talk about. I deployed to uh, Saudi Arabia during Desert Shield Desert Storm with the 10th MASH. And we went in as the uh, reserve hospital with one of the other combat support hospitals. And the plan was going into Iraq that we would leapfrog over. One would set up, once they're set up, we would go go past them a certain area, set up, and then they would break down, go past us as we move forward to take care of any casualties that there may be. And so one of the things that happened, because we were a reserve hospital in the sense that we were not going to be the first ones on the line, we did not leave Saudi Arabia when... They, we started moving into Iraq when they had everyone start moving in. We were delayed about 10 hours uh, before we started the move. And so we got in um, onto the road going into Iraq and it was a two lane regular road, but it was what we found out the main supply route. And so not only were the hospitals out there, the supplies were out there, everybody was out there. So this became two lanes, of, two, uh, of traffic going north into Iraq. Talk about a major traffic stop. I mean, it took us two days to go about 200 miles. It was stop and go, stop and go, get out and wait, get out and wait. And it was just hilarious because you would stop. And so one of the things that I did, and this kind of goes to what Tim was saying, that pharmacists in the military don't just do pharmacy things and, and hospitals. So I'm with a mobile army surgical hospital. I was certified to drive a 10 ton, 10 ton truck with 
our pharmacy on the back, a box like a camper on the back. And so we're driving up and I'm alternating with my NCOIC driving and doing this. But when we would stop, you would jump down and you go back and you'd visit on another on another truck somewhere with somebody and you'd have they'd call, you know, ready to move. So you'd have to jump back in and get into your um, into your truck and go. Well, one of those times I was a little further back than I thought I was. And so I had to jump on one of the other trucks to to be able to to get to go. Otherwise, it was going to get left. And so when we stopped, jumped off, you know, to run to find our truck. But it was really interesting to me, the story, because I left our officer advanced course to deploy to Saudi Arabia. And one of the things that we learned in officer advanced course was about mobilizations and main supply routes and why you're supposed to keep a main supply route clear. And we fell right into it and I went, oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing. No, <laughs> now I understand what a main supply route is because me who has worked in a hospital as a pharmacist had never been involved with any type of deployments or things like this. It was all new, but it was really kind of interesting. And I think I really thought it was hilarious that the stop and go and how long it took us to get anywhere and not expecting to, to do something like that in my career. I thought it was fun, had a great time, but it was not something I was expecting. Well, let's uh, close out with, with one more question. And I, I want to ask, you know, special people that, perhaps mentors that you met while you were in or perhaps transitioning from the service. And Carol, since we'll continue with you on this one. So I had many mentors and, and many advisors during my, my career. I really had three that stood out. One was one of my first bosses when I was at Madigan. The, the poor man had to end up sharing an office with me my last six months while I was at Madigan because our director, our chief, promoted civilians into all of the supervisor positions. So I didn't have a job. So I was just do, doing the getting ready for joint commission and sharing an office with him. But one of the things that he he would talk about was the leadership. And one of the things he told me was every day I need to go out and I need to see my staff and talk to my staff and see how they're doing. That lets them know that you're accessible, you're available, that you care about them and, and you find out things that you would not normally find out. And that kind of has stayed with me and something I did throughout the course of my career. And I'd also do to today is I go out and, and, and see my techs and talk with them. But that's also one of the things in all leadership courses now that they talk about is that leader accessibility and availability. So that's something that has stuck with me and I think helps and makes it easier to, to manage and work with your team. And then, of course, Eric, Colonel Mike, he's by far one of the best officers I ever worked with and one of the best mentors that would give you spend any amount of time with you, no matter what he had to do, you were the only thing he was concerned about and provided so much education and so much knowledge to, to me um, throughout my career. And to this day, I still reach out to him and, yeah, hey, can I run this by you? And when I, one of the things I like about him is, yeah, you can run it by him, but then he's always going to ask you, well, what do you think? What should you, what do you think you should do? So he, he, you can't just go get an answer. You have to actually think about what you want to do, which I think is something that's, that's really great too. And I'll quickly, just one last story I've got. 
when I was at Walter Reed, went to Walter Reed as the pharmacy chief from Port Bragg. And at the time, one of the surgeons at the special forces group was going to Walter Reed to be the hospital commander. And so I called him, introduced myself to him, you know, hey, sir, this is Carol Labity. I'm a pharmacist. I'm going to Walter Reed to be your pharmacy director. And he says, what do you mean going to Walter Reed? I said, well, I understand that you're going to Walter Reed to be the commander. And it's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So it was really fun. So we talked. And what if I said, well, this is what I heard. And he goes, who are you? <laughs> but so we ended up going to Walter Reed and we got there in June. We had a joint commission um, survey scheduled for September to come in. And so we knew going in that we had lots of things to do. And one time, I remember he came to me or so I'm in the hall or something in about August. And Carol, how do you think we're doing? What do you think we're going to do with the survey? And, you know, maybe in a lot like I am a lot of times, I said, sir, we don't stand a, a chance and I'll get out of getting this survey um, passed. And I said, I can't get anybody to do anything. And, you know, I'm very concerned about that. So he called a chief staff meeting and he called in all the doctors and um, our clinical staff meeting and called in the doctors. And I was so impressed with him because he talked to them and he talked first about being a surgeon, surgeon starting joint commission, but still didn't like to have people tell them what to do. But we were getting ready to have a survey and, you know, we really needed to work on doing that. And he says, I've spent time over in Iraq and Afghanistan and talking with the soldiers. And the one thing they know is if they get hurt, they're coming to Walter Reed and they know they're going to get taken care of at Walter Reed. And so he says, so how do you think it would feel to these soldiers if we cannot pass a joint commission survey? And I want you to know, we walked out of that meeting and the next day, I have never seen a hospital come together and start working on trying to get something done as we did at that time. And that just amazed me. And to this day, I still take that with me about how he was able to do that and get that team to work together as a cohesive unit so that we could, and we we, we passed it with flying, flying colors. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, lots, it's, it's endless almost. So Tim, the mentor that impacted you. Yeah, no, of course, over a 24-year career, there's a lot of folks that can uh, impact you, but, you know, there are men and women who guided the way. But I think one of the first ones, and actually it was the guest, one of the guest speakers last year during this same interview session was Captain, now Captain, a retired Captain Dave Price. When I joined uh, the military and became a pharmacy tech, worked at Naval Hospital San Diego, Ensign Dave Price was working there and I worked with him in the narcotic vault together. And he would tell me his history that he, too was a hospital corpsman when he began his career and that he got out and went to pharmacy school, stayed in the reserves, and then returned back to active duty. And he encouraged not just me, but many other of the pharmacy technicians that he saw potential in to, to pursue that route. Whether it was the coming to the military or not, he definitely promoted the profession. And, and you could definitely see that as he ended his career as, as the, the Navy lead for pharmacy. It's definitely one of the influencing 
uh, people in my career. And then towards the end of my career, as I did finish up my career as a lieutenant commander in the Navy Reserve, I was, as I mentioned earlier, sent to Lawnstool, where I got the uh, privilege to work with both Air Force and, and Army pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and, and other folks. And Colonel Kurt, Kurt Hansen actually did encourage me to continue my growth as a pharmacist. At that time, I was a bachelor's bachelor's of science pharmacist. And he, you know, he also saw potential in me. He brought me back as the medication safety pharmacist for, for, for Army Europe. But during that time, when I came back as a civilian, I got my PharmD. And then I went on to get my MBA. And I learned a lot of leadership techniques, things, a lot of things that I use and some things I don't use, um, but most of the things I do. He's, he's, a, he's a go-getter. He never let an opportunity fail. He always would say, if you can get an FTE, you grab it right away. And I have learned to do that. Uh, my resources, whether my resources are pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, or automation, if there's an opportunity there, I jump at it and I help grow our profession and move it forward. So I think at the book ending, book ending my career, from uh, Captain Price to Colonel Hansen, both two great mentors in my career. Thanks. And Kelly, let's uh, close out with you here on any mentors to to mention. So it's really interesting that Tim mentioned Colonel Hansen because that was actually one of mine that I was gonna mention as well. I didn't even, when I was a, a, a Sergeant in Heidelberg, I didn't realize how much attention he was paying to me in my career, but he, has been an amazing mentor to me. Like I met him, I actually first met him. And he doesn't remember this, but joint forces 2006 in Atlanta, I was introduced to him. And I think at the time he was in Hawaii, but then I met him again when he was at Launch and I was in Heidelberg. He has been a constant, I, I, for lack of a better word, like cheerleader for my career. He has been an amazing mentor and has wrote endless letters of recommendation for me for my pharmacy residency and then my re-entering the Army and the Reserve. So he has definitely been an amazing presence and continues to be. I still keep in touch with him uh, to this day. Uh, and I also uh, have to mention uh, Julia Gannon. When I was also in Heidelberg, she was chief of pharmacy when then Colonel Foley, I believe he was deployed at the time. I'm still trying to remember the who was who was uh, what, when and where, but I know she was, she was the assistant chief at one point, And I think she was acting chief while Colonel Fuller was deployed. And so she was also the one who really like pushed me to actually apply to pharmacy school. when I was reconsidering my career choices for lack of a better phrase. I, I think I was just to the point where it was very difficult to apply to pharmacy school from overseas because the, you know, you have to go back to the States to take the PCAD and then having to go back to the States to interview. And it was very time consuming and expensive, but everyone in my leadership was extremely supportive uh, of me doing that and gave me all the time I needed to go back to uh, the United States to do all those things. And so I thought I was like, well, I'll just like send my enlisting contract, do that. She was like, you will not. That is, that is not an option. <laughs> and so I went back, I applied, I interviewed, and I mean, you've heard the rest of the story before in previous questions. So I ended up going back to UNC. So it was definitely her that helped to uh, give me the kick I needed to go down the path that I had already set out to, to take uh, from the beginning. All familiar names. So great, great stories uh, for all of you. Thank you very much for your time today. And I want to thank uh, Carol, Tim, and Kelly for joining us to discuss this 
Veterans Day tribute stories of service to country and the profession. Thanks for tuning in for this session of Practice Journey podcast. Join us here at ASHP Official and the Practice Journey podcast as we learn about how members seek out, grow, and evolve during their careers. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And to all of our veterans out there, happy Veterans Day. And thank you very much for your service. I am Eric Marika, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.